And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, we'll meet the detective who's an enemy to those who make him an enemy, friend to those who have no friend, on Boston Blackie from 1946. Then it's part one of a comedy episode of Abbott and Costello from 1948. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. How are you? I'm good. Good. What's happening in the world of Hollywood? Well, let's talk about Oprah right now. Uh-huh. I mean, not unusual to hear her name in Hollywood. And she is going to be launching a cookbook. That is her newest venture. Mm-hmm. So listen to the name of this cookbook. All right. Food, Health, and Happiness. On-point recipes for great meals and a better life. Right. A nice, short, concise Right. Very memorable. So what's the title of it? Uh, Oprah Cookbook. Right. Something like that. That's what I would call it. Oprah Cookbook. That uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, This is scheduled for release January 3rd of 2017. My guess is there's some recipes on how to bake bread in there. Because she likes bread, she said. I have to agree with her. I love bread, too. So I I can't fault her for that. She really loves bread. Her commercials, she talks about bread a lot. I'm with her. Yeah, me too. I like, I'm Italian. Hey, I can't, I can't help it's like it. I can't eat a meal without bread. I love bread. So that's the way it goes. Now, she's not entirely new to the cookbook world. Uh, she has a personal chef, Rosie Daly, who published a book. Oh, doesn't called, everyone, though? Well, that's my dream, just so we're clear. In the Kitchen with Rosie, Oprah's Favorite Recipes. Mm-hmm. And Oprah wrote an introduction to the Oprah Magazine cookbook. So she's had some background in cooking. Um, a little and nepotism there, writing your own foreword for your cookbook, I'm don't sure you think? I'm sure you would do the same. Yeah. Or hire me if to do it for you. If it would help sell more copies, yeah, <laughs> whatever I would whatever it takes. do whatever it takes. And um, she is about, she was about to publish a memoir called The Life You Want, but it will be pushed back because this cookbook is going to be coming yeah. out first. So, right. um, so check out, and the name of the, the cookbook, cookbook is... The cookbook went to the front burner, I guess. Yes, and the name of the cookbook is... Oprah's Cookbook. There you go. Food, right. health, and happiness, on-point recipes for great meals and a better life. Right. Okay. I'll bet you um, Boston Blackie would buy that cookbook. Uh, that might be a great idea. Because that's who we have up next. Boston Blackie was a character created by Jack Boyle. And uh, Blackie was a young, handsome, well-educated gentleman who loved his fellow man, but was also a hardened criminal like Lisa Wolf. He was a safe cracker who served time in a California prison. Those we felonies should, will follow you everywhere, Lisa. I know it. I heard Rehabilitated, that. he decided to use his knowledge of the underworld to fight crime as an amateur detective. Known as an enemy to those who make him an enemy, friend to those who have no friend, Blackie's exploits were successfully adapted to films, 
radio and television. Now, NBC Radio brought the character to radio as a summer replacement for their Rinso-sponsored and mega-popular Amos and Andy series in 1944, with Chester Morris reprising his film role. In 1945, though, Broadway actor Richard Kalmar took over the radio role with Maurice Tarplin as Inspector Faraday and Leslie Woods as Blackie's girlfriend Mary Wesley. Kalmar brought just the right amount of sarcastic wit and charm to the character, starring in more than 200 radio episodes produced between 1945 and 1950. And of course, Lisa, it went to television too. Kent Taylor. Played him on the uh, small uh, TV screen, because back then in 1950, the screens were like pretty minuscule. Yeah, they were really tiny, tiny screens. So we have a radio episode now of Boston Blackie called The Millionaire Murdered. It's from May 14th, 1946. Here's Dick Kalmar as Boston Blackie. Blackie, this is the life. Alone with you in a handsome cab at 2 a.m. Who could want anything better? <laughs> the horse, maybe. He may be smart and prefer his bed to the park. <laughs> How'd you know it was 2 a.m.? I can tell by the stars. And the position of the moon. And besides, I just looked at my watch. <laughs> well, at least you've impressed our driver. Listen to him chuckle. Uh, well, I ain't impressed with her telling time of the moon and stars, son. I'm impressed because you're Boston Blackie. You see? You are, ain't you? Yes, but don't tell your horse. He might quit. And you must be Miss Wesley, ain't you, lady? (laughs) My main fault is I'm curious. Yes, driver, I'm Miss Wesley. That's my main fault, too. (laughs) And as much as it's 2 o'clock, Mary, I think we'd better head for the nearest exit of town. Let's get out of the park, driver. All right, Mr. Blackie. Oh, and I was just beginning to enjoy this. Wait a minute. Can I hear an organ somewhere? It's the merry-go-round over there. Oh, yes, it is. See the light shining through the trees? Yes, I do. The merry-go-round running wide open at 2 o'clock in the morning? This is crazy. Hold it, driver. Sure, sure. Oh, oh now. Oh, now. Oh, up there. Wait here a minute, driver. Come on, Mary. Let's have a look. Oh, but but I... I... The carousel shouldn't be running at this time of night. It should be closed up tight by sundown. Come on. All right. You'll wait for us, driver? Sure thing, Mr. Blackie. Sure thing. Here's a path through the hedge, Mary. Yeah, I see it. Thanks. Hey. Look at the carousel. It's turning. Yeah, isn't that funny? I'll see. I wonder where the operator is. I don't know. There doesn't seem to be anybody. Mary, there's not a soul here. Nobody in sight. No, there doesn't seem to be. Now, I can't understand that, Blackie. The lights are on, the organ's playing, and the carousel is turning. And yet... Yet there isn't anyone around. Mary, I've got an idea that this merry-go-round in front of us has a mystery in back of it. Blackie, I don't get this at all. I don't either, Mary, but it gets me. Nobody's on any of the horses. Look, look. There is a man on one of the horses. There, you see, coming round from the back. Oh, I see him. He'll be right in front of us in a minute. Hey, you! Sleep. I'll jump on and wake him up. Careful, darling. Oh, don't worry. I used to hop only freight trains when I was a kid. Is the man on the horse asleep? Wait till I come around again and I'll tell you. Horse 
Good morning, Inspector Faraday. Ah. Uh, Good morning, Inspector. This is Blackie. Morning. Blackie? Hey, what's the idea? It's dark out. But it's still morning, pal. Three o'clock in the morning. Look, Joe, can I even get a good night's sleep? Oh, can you with a conscience as guilty as yours? But look, Faraday, I've got a little job for you. Well, save it for morning. By morning, I'll have it finished myself. What are you raving about, Blackie? Murder, Faraday. There's a body with a bullet in its head riding a wooden horse on the merry-go-round in the park. A body dressed in a riding habit. Blackie, you feel all right? Just fine, Faraday. Uh, nothing, uh, nothing's the matter with you at all? Not a thing. Then stop that nonsense. Stop talking sense. I don't blame you, Inspector, old man. It sounds ridiculous even to me. And it'll sound more ridiculous when I tell you who the corpse is. Or was. Well? John Van Dorn, the millionaire sportsman. The best-known horseman in New York? And he's found dead on a wooden horse on a merry-go-round? Well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Seems silly to me, too, Faraday, but believe me, I'm serious. He's going around and around and around. Blackie, you're not kidding. I'm dead serious, comma. But Van Dorn isn't dead serious, semicolon. He's dead, period. Yes? Good morning. Are you Peter Carson? Yes. You own the carousel in the park? Yep. I own it and I run it. What about it? I'm Boston Blackie. May I come in? Sure. Thanks. You want to know about John Van Dorn's murder, don't you? Yes, I do. You think I know something, huh? You might. What makes you think so? A little information I picked up at the park commission before I came to see you. You don't know anything about me. No? Well, I know your carousel was just about to be closed. Oh? And I know it was on a complaint from John Van Dorn that the park commission was going to close it. So? So you had a pretty good reason to kill Van Dorn, don't you agree? Uh... Sit down. I'll tell you the little bit I know about this. You know, uh, just a little bit? Maybe you might think it's a lot. Let's hear it. Well, last night I... Never mind the knock on the door. Go on. Well, last night I was just... I'll talk to this guy, Blackie. Oh, good morning, Inspector. The police? Yes, Carson, but don't judge the entire force by Faraday here. He's a holdover from the days before the cops were required to think. Quiet, Blackie. Carson, I'm investigating the murder of John Van Dorn. What do you know about it? Nothing, Inspector. Uh-oh. What do you mean by oh-oh, Blackie? Oh-oh, zero-zero, nothing-nothing. Which is exactly what you're going to get out of Carson. Blackie, where are we going? To see Mrs. Van Dorn, the dead man's wife. Oh, uh, what'd you find out from Pete Carson, the owner of the carousel? Nothing, Mary. Faraday walked in just as he was about to tell me something. Uh-oh. Had one look at the inspector, and he got locked jaw. What do you think he was going to tell you? I don't know. I wish somebody would tell me something. This thing's crazy, Mary. One of the city's best-known horsemen is found dead in full riding habit and riding a wooden horse. It's fantastic, all right. Fantastic. It's weird. <laughs> And Dawn died that way by coincidence, so we're dealing with a murderer with a strange sense of humor. <laughs> oh, here's Van Dorn's house. Oh, it's a beautiful place, isn't it? Van had a beautiful bank account. Beautiful wife, too. We'll soon find out. And I'm afraid of. Yes? I'd like to see Mrs. Van Dorn, please. She's not in. It's Tito, Harry. Tell him it's not Tito, Blanche. No, it's not, but Mrs. Van Dorn is in, and so are we. All right, then. 
Mrs. Van Dorn, these two are here to see you. You want to see me? Yes, Mrs. Van Dorn. And if you don't mind, it's about your husband's death. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. You had to talk to my lawyer, Mr. Wilcox, about that. And where will I find him? I'm Wilcox. Well, this is easier than I thought. I'm investigating Mr. Van Dorn's death. Can you tell me anything about it, Wilcox? No, and I think you've got a lot of nerve breaking in here and talking about this unfortunate thing in front of Mrs. Van Dorn. I'm sorry, but investigations have to be made. Her husband was murdered, and I'd like to help find the killer. Are you the police? No, he's worse than Blackie, Mr. Wilcox. He's better than the police. <laughs> Not better, Mary, just luckier. Mrs. Van Dorn, you want me to find your husband's killer, don't you? Of course, but... Must we talk about it just now? The sooner I get the facts, the sooner the killer might be caught. That may be true, Blackie, but out of respect to the widow, I'll have to ask you to come here with your questions some other time. Some other time may be too late, Wilcox. Mrs. Van Dorn, your husband was rather prominent socially, wasn't he? His name was well known in social and business circles, yes. How did he make his living? I understand he was quite wealthy. Oh, not terribly. He had a contract with the Jasmine Perfume Company, giving them the right to use his name on their leading brand. That was his own... Oh, must I talk about it? Everything you tell me helps, Mrs. Van Dorn. Well, I forbid any more questions, Blackie. I don't think you have much say in the matter, Wilcox. Mrs. Van Dorn. I'm her lawyer, but... Blackie, and I refuse to let her be questioned. By you or by anyone else. So I think you'd better leave. Here's the door. Oh, thanks. It's hard to see it when it's open like that. But I think I can find it. I'm sure you can. Come on, Mary. Oh, I'm practically out, Blackie. Oh, well. Goodbye, Wilcox. I'll see you again. Not if I can help it. You won't be able to, Wilcox. And uh, Mrs. Van Dorn, if your lawyer doesn't get off his high horse, maybe I'll never find out how your husband was killed on that wooden one. Are we driving out to meet Blackie at the merry-go-round, Inspector Faraday? No, Miss Wesley. I want to get my facts from you, alone. Oh. If Blackie were along, he'd do nothing but confuse me. Well, we'll be at the carousel in a minute. Yes, we will. It's around the bend and right down this road here, about a uh, hundred yards. Yeah, yeah. That much I know. Now, tell me just what happened when you and Blackie were riding in the park last night. Well, Blackie and I were riding along in a hansom cab. Yeah? It was uh, just about this time, about 2 a.m. As we got about here, we suddenly heard the carousel organ playing a waltz. And we... Just like now. Hey, the music is playing. Yeah. All right, then what happened, Miss Wesley? Well, uh... We pulled up almost in front of the merry-go-round. Like this, Miss Wesley, huh? Uh, yes, like now. And through the trees, we could see the lights of the carousel. Like now. Hey, this is crazy. Those lights are on. And at 2 a.m. Come on, come on, let's have a look. Right. Uh, the path to the carousel is right through this hedge here. Yeah, I see it. Come on. I'm coming, Inspector. Okay. Now, after you heard the music and saw the lights and came out here to have a look at it, just like now... Then what, Miss Wesley? Well, uh, we stood here like this and watched the carousel go round and round. Just like now. Yeah, and then? And then, all of a sudden, we noticed a body on one of the horses. Inspector! Just like now! Blackie and Mary Wesley are riding in a handsome cab in the park at 2 o'clock in the morning when they find the carousel... Organ playing, lights ablaze, and revolving slowly with a dead man riding one of the horses. The dead man is John Van Dorn, well-known horseman. Investigation reveals no clues nor uncovers the major suspect. That night, Faraday takes Mary out to the carousel to go over the scene of the crime 
only to discover the organ playing, the lights blazing, and another dead man riding a wooden horse. As we return to our story, Faraday and Mary are standing by the carousel while Faraday's men inspect it. There's got to be fingerprints somewhere. Well, Inspector, have you got trouble? Blackie! Blackie, you get away from here. Sorry, Faraday. I must be part vulture or something. Every time I hear on my radio that a body's been found, I have to come and have a look at it. Well, look at it then, and leave. There it is, on that horse on the merry-go-round. Oh, Blackie, it's Peter Carson, the man who owns the carousel. So I see. How was he killed, Barney? Shot, the same as Van Dorn. Uh-huh, and I suppose you know why he was killed. I do. You must have seen who killed Van Dorn. Barney, sometimes you amaze me. You're right for once. But do you know who killed him? Sure. The same guy who killed Van Dorn. Right again, Faraday. But you haven't the slightest idea who killed Van Dorn, have you? No, I thought not. All right, all right. So I'm a dope. Do you know who killed Van Dorn? <laughs> do I know who killed Van Dorn? Well, do you? Well, no. The register downstairs said Harry Wilcox's office was 1307. That must be this way, Mary. Okay, there's his door. Good, come on. Whew. That was some climb up those stairs, wasn't it? Could have been worse, Mary. This is a 36-story building, you know. Could have been better. The elevators could have been running. <laughs> Not at this hour. Hmm. Well, I suppose I'll have to pick the lock. Lucky. You sure it wouldn't be a lot easier if we just see Harry Wilcox in his office tomorrow morning? I've had one brush with Wilcox already, Mary. Enough to let me know that the Van Dorn lawyer is not the cooperative kind. Okay. Man, I did it. And the door's open. Ladies first. Uh, when walking into a dark office, the rules are reversed. <laughs> All right. Here, you take the flashlight. Got it. You can turn it on now. I'll close the door. All right, flashlight's on. Now what? I'll shine it around the room. What I'm looking for will probably be in Wilcox's safe, I hope. Mm, me too, but what if he doesn't have anything? You say such awful things, Mary. You don't write just. Oh, there it is, Blackie. Next to that filing cabinet there. Good. Easy kind to open. Aren't they all to you? Bring the light over. <laughs> all right. Now what? Just hold it and be quiet. I want to hear the tumblers drop. Be quiet. There's one. Good. Shh. There's two. Better. Shh. Three. Marvelous. And... Open. Terrific. Aren't we now? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's see inside. Not much in the safe. Two uh, ledgers, two papers. Uh-huh. Let's hope one of those papers is what I'm looking for. Hey, what are you looking for? You'll hit me on the head if I tell you. What? And break a perfectly good flashlight? What are you looking for? I don't know. You... You don't know? No. Something. Oh, dear. Anything. This might be interesting. What is it? It's Dawn's contract with that jasmine perfume firm. What contract? A contract giving them the right to use his name on their perfumes. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'll have a look at this. Yeah, signed by Van Dorn, Mr. Ronson, president of Jasmine. Cancellation clause, cancellation clause. Where are you? Maybe there isn't one. Oh. Well, there isn't. Here's one just as good, a ridicule clause. A ridicule clause? What does that mean? 
means that if Condor ever did anything that might hold him up to ridicule, this contract would automatically be canceled. What would be the purpose of that, Blackie? I'm not sure, but I can guess. My guess is that Ronson bought the Vendorn name because it had some high society significance. In the event the name became connected with anything ridiculous, it would naturally have no value to Ronson. Well, I'm very surprised at myself, but I do understand. First thing tomorrow morning, I am going to see Mr. Ronson. Maybe he manufactures perfumes. But there's something about all this that doesn't smell so good to me. Hi, uh, Secretary says you want to see me, Blackie. What about? Oh, nothing much, Mr. Ronson. I just want to know what you know about John Van Dorn. I don't know much. I, I merely paid him for the use of his name on my products. Yes, I know that. And, uh... Huh. See, so you're turning out new bottles for your stuff, Mr. Ronson. Those nice drawings on your desk. Oh, oh these, uh, these are just planning roughs. Hey, I, wait a minute. I... Uh, don't put those away. Seems to me the name on the label wasn't Van Dorn. Uh, it was Winston, wasn't it? Yes, yes, but that means nothing. It means something to me, Ronson. Your contract with Van Dorn was canceled by his death, wasn't it? So your perfumes are now to come out under a new name, Winston. What was wrong with Van Dorn? Well, I, I might as well tell you. you. You'll find out anyhow. The, the Van Dorn name didn't sell. Oh, so you had a contract with Van Dorn. It couldn't be canceled. His name wasn't selling your product, so you killed him. Or you'd go broke. No, no, I didn't kill him. But you did want to break your contract with him. Didn't yes, you? but, but I, I didn't kill him. All I tried to do was involve him in a scandal so I could exercise the, the ridicule clause in my contract. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Now, now, no, look, Blackie, I, I'll tell you just what I did. About time. Go on. Well, Van Dorn was a famous horseman. And I thought the city would get a good laugh if they saw him riding a wooden horse on a merry-go-round in full riding habit. That's exactly what I figured. You put him on that horse, huh? Yes, yes, I... I had him come to my house just after his daily ride in the park, and I, I drugged him. And then at midnight, I put him in my car and drove to the carousel in the park. Carried him to one of the horses and then shot him. No, no. B -b Believe me. After he was on the horse, I turned on the carousel lights and started the organ and, and put the carousel in motion. And then? And then I, I started to leave to, to call a newspaper and give them a hot tip for a picture. Uh, society's leading horseman on a wooden horse, you know. But there was a shot. And Van Dorn slumped, and I knew the bullet had hit him. I got scared and ducked into the bushes and left. Did you see who fired the shot? No. And, and believe me, all I wanted to do was involve Van Dorn in a scandal so I could cancel my contract. All right, Ronson. That takes care of you for right now. But right now, I've got to take care of someone who wanted to cancel Van Dorn. That's the first portion of Boston Blackie with Millionaire Murdered, starring Dick Kalmar from 1946. We'll get back to it after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, the... Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. 
This dearie is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com and receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. All right, let's get back now to Boston Blackie. Yes, oh, it's you. Yes, it's me, no, Mrs. Van Gogh. Uh, no. Don't tell me I can't come in because I am in. Look, now, you, you can't. Who is it, Blackie? It's that Boston Blackie again. Blackie, I thought I told you to stay away from us. Your hospitality was so charming, Wilcox, I just couldn't resist another sample. I'll give you a sample of something else if you don't get out of here. Don't make me laugh. Say, Wilcox, uh, you have an office, you have a home of your own. Why is it every time I see you, you're here with Mrs. Van Dorn? Why, I... Harry, please. It's Harry, is it? And I think you call her Blanche, don't you? Well, that happens to be her name. I know, and Blanche is the part of her name that you don't intend to change, eh? Do I hear wedding bells? Now, look here, Blackie. If you're suggesting that Harry killed my husband, that's absolutely What most... I do mean to suggest is that your husband was killed a little after midnight last night. And Wilcox, where were you at that time? At my club. Can you prove it? Yes, I can prove it. I... Oh, now who's that? I have a rough idea. Let the rough idea in, Mrs. Van Dorn. You can't keep him out. Oh, Inspector Faraday, how are you back again? Come in. Thanks. Now, look, Mrs. Van Dorn. I... Blackie. What are you doing here? Same old Faraday, same old question. I've got a suspect for you. Wilcox. Wilcox? Oh, no. He couldn't have killed Van Dorn. The coroner says Van Dorn was killed sometime between midnight and two o'clock this morning. I checked and found Wilcox was in the card room at his club during those hours. Faraday, you're improving. Keep it up and one of these days I won't even know you. Let's hope that soon. I demand you apologize to Mr. Wilcox Blackie. Okay, Wilcox. I'm sorry. But... Faraday, can I see you a moment alone? What about? An idea just got me that may get you a murderer. I hope you aren't afraid in the park so late at night, Mrs. Van Dorn. It is rather dark and frightening, isn't it, Becky? Yes, it is. Oh, here's the path I want. Where are we going? To the merry-go-round, Mrs. Van Dorn, if you don't mind. No. Why should I? Well, I... Thought you wouldn't mind seeing it. It helped find your husband's killer. Ah, oh, here we are. Awfully quiet out here, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. You know, Mrs. Van Dorn, when I get off to any place like this where it's quiet, my mind plays awfully strange tricks on me. Sometimes I... <laughs> well, I even seem to see things that aren't there. Oh, Psychiatrists would say that it was my subconscious mind working, I suppose. Uh, yes, it's very interesting. For instance, last night I was standing in front of this carousel. The lights were blazing. They were? Yes, the lights were on. Oh, and... Blackie, look. Look, Mrs. Vendon? At what? The lights of the carousel are on. I don't see them. But you must. Every light is on. Every light. 
Now, Miss Van Dorn, imagine... No, I'm not. The lights are on. The lights aren't on, Mrs. Van Dorn. But they are. Well, and, and the merry-go-round is turning. At two o'clock in the morning? How could that be? Well, it is. And, it, and there's the music. Can you hear that? You do hear it, no, don't you? No, no, I don't. Mrs. Van Dorn, well, listen, the music sound. is playing. Now, look, the merry-go-round is turning. Mrs. Van Dorn, control I yourself. I see it, I see it, I tell you, and I hear it. It was just like this when I followed Mr. Ronson out here. Mrs. Van Dorn. I stood here. I stood here and watched. He put John on the horse. And the carousel went around, it went around. And when Don came around one time, I shot him. I shot him. Mrs. Van Dorn, you know. He was riding that wooden horse up and down, up and down. There he is again. Just like he was dead. All right, Faraday. You get off that wooden horse. She talks. Alone with you here at two o'clock. Oh, Blackie, this is the life. Oh, no, Mary, this is the park. Oh, yes. And the last time we came here, we got mixed up in a murder. And how we were mixed up. And Blackie, I still don't know why the carousel owner was killed. Well, Mrs. Van Dorn murdered the carousel owner because she thought he might have seen her shoot her husband. And he might have it. Had... Oh, but now, wait a minute. Let's go back a little bit farther. How did Mrs. Van Dorn know Ronson was bringing her husband out here in the first place? Her husband had called her from Ronson's, and when he didn't show up along about midnight, she went over there. She saw Ronson carrying her husband out and followed him. Well, if she saw that, why didn't she tell it to the police afterwards? Because, my dear, she was a killer, and she felt the less said, the better. Like if the music's playing again. I know. But it's... it's I know. It's 2 o'clock again, but it's not 2 o'clock in the morning, Mary. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, Blackie. Let's go on the merry-go-round. Just you and I. Well, Please. Why, Mary. But why? Maybe it's because I want people to say that we're going around together. <laughs> And that's Boston Blackie from May 14, 1946, with Millionaire Murdered, starring Dick Kalmar. And uh, Dick Kalmar, Lisa, we've talked about this. He was married to Dorothy Kilgallen. Dorothy Kilgallen was sort of the, um, the probably the most powerful female um, uh, reporter. And she was sort of like a Barbara Walter. She was like the Barbara Walters before Barbara Walters. And she was... Um, very, very powerful columnist, a reporter, and uh, he married her, and they had a morning breakfast show in New York on WOR called Breakfast with Dorothy and Dick that was so popular. I mean, it was like a phenomenon how popular this morning breakfast show was. But anyway, that was Boston Blackie. In the cast, Maurice Tarplin as Inspector Faraday, Leslie Woods as his girlfriend Mary Wesley is heard on ABC. All right, it's time now for part one of Abbott and Costello, one of radio's most popular comedy teams. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello began their 30-year partnership in 1929, with Abbott serving as the perfect straight man and Costello as the bumbling, wisecracking man-child. The duo were veteran vaudeville and burlesque performers when producer Ted Collins signed them for a series of appearances on the Kate Smith radio show in 1938. They achieved national recognition by performing seasoned vaudeville routines for a national audience, including 
their most famous, Who's on First? Evident Costello starred in a 1940 summer replacement series for Fred Allen before signing with Universal Pictures to appear in movies. From 1942 through 1947, the duo enjoyed huge success in movies and on radio, where the Abbott and Costello show became a Thursday night fixture on NBC. The pair broadcast for ABC from 1947 to 1949, where they starred in a weekly evening series as well as a Saturday morning show aimed at their younger fans. All right, it's time now for part one of the Abbott and Costello show. Let's go back to April 21st, 1948. The Boys Open a Marriage Bureau. Here's part one of Abbott and Costello. Hey, Abbott, what time is it? It's time for the Abbott and Costello Show. We're on the air for ABC here in Hollywood. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go with the Abbott and Costello Show. Yes, it's the Abbott and Costello Show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood tonight for your listening pleasure with Susan Miller and the music of Maddie Malley. Hold on to your chairs, folks, for here they are, Bud Abbott and Luke Costello. Costello, Costello, what's the matter with you tonight? Jane Russell just kissed me. Jane Russell just kissed you? Well, this smoke ain't coming out of my ears for nothing. <laughs> well, never mind that, Costello. What time was it when you came in last night? It was a quarter of twelve. Yeah, it so happens, Costello, that I looked at the clock and it was three. Well, so what about it? So well, got... three is a quarter of twelve. Did you have a good time at the party? Good time? Why, Abbott, they treated me like a king. Well, one of those high-class society affairs, you know, where they give you all to eat, and all to eat. Uh, the little crackers and sardines, that's what they give you. Little no, crackers no, and sardines. No, Costello, they were orders. Well, I should have... They were what? They were orders, orders. How do you like that? And they tasted just like sardines to me. <laughs> Costello, you're getting more stupid every day. I've tried, and I've tried to improve your mind, but I just can't seem to get anywhere. Why don't you face it, Abbott, and admit that you're a failure? Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, skip it. Skip it? Yes. <laughs> ah, wait a minute. Who did you go to the party with, Susan Miller? Oh, no, Susan and I had a fight. Uh, well, you should be ashamed of yourself, fighting with a lovely girl like Susan Miller. Why, what, what started the fight? Well, Susan caught me cheating at cards. Did she catch you with an ace up your sleeve? No, with a queen on my lap. Costello, look, come here. Where have you been? Uh, why are you all dressed up tonight? Abbott, I just came from my cousin Vincent's wedding. Oh, so your cousin Vincent finally got married. Who did he marry? He married a woman. Oh, you dummy. <laughs> of course he married a woman. Who ever heard of anybody marrying a man? My mother did. Oh. <laughs> Talk sense, please. What kind of a wedding did he have? It must have been a military wedding. A military wedding? How do you know? Her father was carrying a shotgun. I... <laughs> ah, marriage is so romantic. Uh, who gave the bride away, Costello? Nobody. Nobody? I could have, but I kept my mouth shut. Come <laughs> now, Costello. Who, who let her down the aisle? Nobody let her. She knew the way, blindfolded. <laughs> Look, Costello, somebody had to lead her down the aisle to meet her spouse. To meet her what? Her spouse. Vincent is a spouse. Just a minute, Abby. You can't call Vincent a spouse. She never touches her stuff. Uh, okay. <laughs> Okay, okay. Then we'll say that Vincent was a groom. That's better. He was a groom before he was married. Uh, how could he be a groom before he got married? He worked in a livery stable. I... <laughs> That's a horse on you. Oh, skip it. 
How, how'd the bride look, Costello? Was she wearing a corsage? Oh, Abbott, how can you ask me such a thing? I'm only a young boy. I'm only asking you if the bride wore a corsage. No, with her shape, she don't need one. <laughs> look, Costello, you saw the bride, didn't you? Of course I saw the bride. What kind of clothes did she wear? Oh, she had a, a beautiful torso. Torso? Every bride has got to have a torso before she gets married. <laughs> no, no, Costello, you mean trousseau. Did you see her trousseau? No, he wasn't there. <laughs> Who wasn't there? Trousseau! Robinson Trousseau! Ah, listen. Well, listen, Costello, when the bride came into the church, did you notice her train? What train? She drove up in a second-hand jalopy. <laughs> I'm talking about the train on her dress. With every bridal dress, you get a train. What store is giving those away? I bought a suit once and got a baseball bat and a catcher's mitt, but I never got a train. Costello, will you please listen? When the bride walked into the church, was, the, uh, was she dragging anything behind her? My cousin Vincent. <laughs> I'm talking about her dress. Did you see that long white piece of goods hanging from her dress? Oh, yes, sir. I saw that. That was her train. Oh, I tripped over that thing and tore it off. You, you tore off a train? How did the bride look without a train? She looked like a late freight with a loose caboose. <laughs> Costello, you're not fit to talk to an idiot. I'll write you one note. I... <laughs> well, your cousin Vincent is very lucky. A man doesn't know what real happiness is until he until he gets married, Lou. Yes, and then it's too late. Yes. <laughs> you dummy. I'm very sentimental about marriage. How well I remember my marriage. I can remember. I can remember when I turned to my wife and said those words. I do. You should remember those words. That was the last time you got a chance to open your mouth. <laughs> That's ridiculous, Costello. My wife and I are very happy. Why, Betty and I are inseparable. Yes, you are. The last fight you had, it took four people to separate you. <laughs> Abbott, does it cost much to get married? Oh, no, they have different prices. Now, the uh, preacher who married my wife and I uh, charged according to the beauty of the bride. If the bride is very beautiful, he charged $10. If she was pretty, it was $5. If she was just uh, ordinary, he charged $2. How much did he give you? I... <laughs> Costello, you've got the wrong slant on marriage. All brides are beautiful. If all brides are beautiful, where do all those ugly wives come from? <laughs> Look, Abbott, you're making enough money. Why don't you give the kids some dough and let them stay home? Costello, Norman is, is very proud. He wouldn't take charity. He'd rather steal it. Uh, <laughs> certainly. Uh, no, no. Look, wait a minute, Lou. Are you trying to insinuate that he's a thief? Norman is a very brilliant boy. Last week he saw a sign in a post office that said, Murderer Wanted. He went in and applied for the job. Hello, boys. Well, hello, Susan. Look, Costello, it's Susan Miller. Susan Miller. Oh, Susan. Why didn't you show up for our date last night? Oh, I couldn't, Costello. We've had sickness in our house. The fireplace caught virus X. Now, how could your fireplace catch virus X? Why not? It's already got the flu. Get it? Fireplace. <laughs> Same writers we got. <laughs> Susan, you're getting so... You get to sound more like Milton Berle's mother every day. Why don't you invite Costello to your party next Sunday afternoon? Oh, that's a good idea. Costello, you can be Cupid. Wear three-cornered pants and carry a bow and arrow. Oh, Susan, I couldn't do that. Why not? Oh, how would it look for a guy my age to be carrying a bow and arrow? <laughs> oh, I'm, going. I'm going to the party, Costello. I'm going as Simple Al. Oh, don't you mean Simple Simon? Abbott's so simple he can't spell Simon. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, you shouldn't talk that way about Abbott. He's very romantic. And he's quite a hand with the ladies at a party. Oh, no, he ain't. He's too slow. We went to a party last Saturday, and before Abbott got around asking the girl for a kiss, I already had my face slapped three times. <laughs> You see, Costello Now, if you were married Things like that wouldn't happen to you Susan's right, Costello Marriage keeps a man out of trouble Yeah, keeps him out of trouble He wouldn't have gotten in If he hadn't got married <laughs> Oh, now, what don't you like about marriage? The part where they throw away the rice That part I don't like Where they throw the rice At my cousin's wedding today They threw rice at Vincent And it's too messy Rice isn't messy It is when they mix it with chop suey <laughs> go now. I'll see you at the party. Susan, I'll be over real early and I'll help you stuff the turkey. Oh, no, you don't. You stuffed the turkey the last party. You stuffed it with taffy. Stuffed the turkey with taffy? Mm -hmm. What happened? Well, while all the other people were trying to get their teeth unstuck, Costello ate all the white meat. (laughs) So long, fatso. You know, Abbott, there goes a nice girl. Really. uh, I'll have to agree on that. A very nice girl. You know, Susan said that she'd marry me if it wasn't for my sentimentality. Sentimentality? Yeah, she knows I haven't got a cent, and she's not so sure about my mentality. <laughs> Susan would marry you all right, Costello, if you were in uh, business and making money, you know. Oh, Abbott, what kind of business could I go in? Well, it's sleepier and it's spring. You know, I think we could make a fortune if we open a matrimonial bureau. There's a lot of money arra- arra- arranging weddings for people. Do. Not me, Abbott. I'm not going to be responsible for sticking guys with mother-in-laws. <laughs> wrong with mother-in-laws? You don't even know what a mother-in-law is. A mother-in-law is the FBI in bloomers. <laughs> well, it's easy to see you know nothing about matrimonial bureau. Well, I do, too. Last summer, I worked in a matrimonial bureau. I was in a travel department. I arranged places for happy couples to go on their honeymoon. You did? And I only made one mistake. A couple wanted to go to Niagara Falls, and I sent them to Atlantic City. Were they angry? They will be if they ever find out. (laughs) Well, Betty, darling. It's my wife, Costello. Uh, Betty, Costello and I are thinking of opening a matrimonial bureau. Oh, I think that's wonderful. Oh, marriage is such a wonderful thing. I owe everything I am to my husband, Buddy. Why don't you give him the two cents a square to your account? (laughs) Oh, oh, Buddy, why don't you defend me? Sometimes I think the only reason you married me was because my Uncle Harry left me a million dollars. That's a lie, Mrs. Abbott. Thanks, Costello. He would have married you regardless of who left you the money. (laughs) Pay no attention to him, Betty. You know, you are even more lovelier than the day I married you. Look at you standing there. Your slim figure, your short-cut hair, and those trim slacks. She doesn't look like the mother of two children, does she, Costello? No. Thanks. You look like the father. (laughs) Costello, I'll have you know that my wife still wears a size 16. Isn't that a pretty big shoe for a woman? (laughs) Why, you bloated blubberhead. You're built like a tub. You ought to wear a girdle. I tried that once. I wore a girdle and it made my stomach disappear. Really? Yes, it sneaked around to the back and popped up under an assumed name. (laughs) Why don't you cut that out, Costello? Why don't you act nice? Why don't you invite Betty and I over to your house tonight for dinner? I'm sorry, Abbott. I'm having my brother for dinner. Oh, you're lucky. We can't get any pork. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Betty, 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 Betty. 
Oh, Betty, you certainly sneaked that one in on him. Oh, you're always sneaking them in on him. No, you're always sneaking them on him. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard from a pair of old sneakers. <laughs> Castella, look, if we were in business, you wouldn't have time to go around and selling people. We ought to open that matrimonial beer. You put up the money, and I'll open up the office. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, all right, I figured that. I'll open the office, and you put up the money. Well, that's better. All right. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. That's the same thing. Well, uh, I've got the place, uh, the office all picked out. All I want you to do is to go around and grab some customers that want to get married. Okay, I'll grab Jane Russell. Well, you can grab Jane Russell. Jane Russell is already married. You grab what you like, and I'll grab what I like. <laughs> Costello, how's it feel to be in business? Here we are in our own office, the Abbott and Costello Matrimonial Bureau. Now, remember, we want to try and get my uh, my oldest sister married as soon as possible. Now, there, there's her picture. That's her picture? Yeah, but she's got red curly hair. What's wrong with that? Lots of girls have red curly hair. Growing out of their ears? <laughs> Answer that, Costello. That may be a customer. Abbott and Costello Matrimonial Agency. Be brief. I just got my penny on the payphone. A penny? You're supposed to drop in a nickel on the phone. Well, I'm calling from a thrifty drugstore. What can I do for you? Well, I've got to have a wife. I've simply got to have a wife. I've got two million dollars. If you get me a wife, I'll give her a million dollars, and I'll give you a million for your fee. A million dollars for me? Come over right away to the office, right away. Well, I can't. They won't let me out. I'm all right, I tell you. I'm all Ladies and gentlemen, to Mr. Harry Brown goes the Oscar for the show tonight. <laughs> hey, Abbott, what paper did you put our ad in? The Hardware Journal. I thought so. One of the nuts just called up. <laughs> Abbott and Costello Matrimonial Agency. What kind of girls have we got? We got girls in frills and girls in laces. Arsenic and old faces. Girls who sing and girls who dance yet. Girls who never had a chance yet. Big girls, small girls, everyone spectacular. Short girls, tall girls, and Abbott's sister who looks like Dracula. <laughs> I think I'd run Harry Brown a close second. How do you do, gentlemen? I'm from the Marriage License Bureau. I understand you two are running a matrimonial bureau. Mr. Costello, do you understand the laws governing marriage? I do. And Mr. Abbott, do you understand the laws governing marriage? I do. I now pronounce you man and wife. That'll be five dollars, please. <laughs> and that's the first portion of the Abbott and Costello show from April 21st, 1948, where the boys open a marriage bureau. Starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Also in the cast, Viola Vaughn, Verna Felton, Martha Wentworth, and Harry Brown. It's heard on ABC. Now, next time, we'll have the conclusion to Abbott and Costello. Plus, we'll tune in to Escape. But first, these words. More Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Before we say goodbye to our listeners until our next show, I want to remind them that they can send in a picture of themselves and their cat and have a chance to win a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter. Right, Lisa? Yes, that's our relationship with Cat's Pride. They make the best kitty litter on the market. Their newest edition is Cat's Pride Ultimate Care, and it's in the green jug, and Katherine Heigl is the spokesperson. Right, look for the green jug. 
That's what I just said. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, um, if you have a cat or you know someone has a cat and you could benefit from an entire year supply of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter, we urge you to send in a picture of you with your cat or just your cat is okay too to catspridephoto at gmail.com. Include your name, your cat's name, and your city and state. At the end of every single month, the CEO of Cat's Pride will come in and draw one lucky winner. And so we hope that you would, uh, if you have the opportunity, enter before the end of the month. And look for the green chip. That's what I said. Yeah. So make sure you look for the green jug. Look for what now? The green jug. Because that's Cat's Pride Ultimate Care. And you know what? A portion of every sale goes to help cats and dogs across the country that are in these shelters. So uh, please do switch to Cat's Pride Ultimate Care. In our next show, it's the conclusion to Abbott and Costello plus Escape. You won't want to miss it. We'll see you next time.